We are so excited to um, launch this podcast for our Coming King series. We just finished four weeks of looking at the scriptures that talk about the end of our age. And um, we've been really excited to kind of land on this particular moment where we took questions all through the month. Uh, you guys sent in some great questions, really challenged us, and we're excited to address them today. Um, so I have Ron Troyer here with me, and this is Pastor Nicole Schreiber, and we are um, just wrapping up a series on um, the end of the age and taking questions from people that studied or listened to uh, the messages over these last four weeks and had some some remaining questions. So um, here we go. We're just going to jump right in. This is our first question. It comes uh, out of Matthew 24, uh, 38 through 39. And we'll read that scripture here in just a minute. But the question is, uh, what does Noah have to do with the second coming? Why is that uh, mentioned there? And then also, um, what other passages in the Old Testament uh, point to Jesus' second coming prophetically, as we know that uh, you know God is giving us clues throughout the Old Testament of what's going to happen. And so let me just read to you the, this particular passage that um, the question, the, the person that's asking this question is from Matthew 24. It says, For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, Ron, how would you answer that? What, uh, why is Noah and the ark related to the coming of Jesus? Could I just add um, the phrase prior to verse 38 and then verses 40 and 41? Mm -hmm. uh, the phrase just prior to 40. 38 in those days says when the son of man returns it will be like it mm -hmm. was in Noah's day and that sort of sets the context for this passage I think this is a great question I actually believe that it's a text that sometimes causes confusion and is often taken out of the context in which Jesus taught it uh, verses 40 and 41 say two men will be working together in the field and this is the illustration that he gave uh, in terms of what it will be like in Noah's day two men will be working in the field together one will be taken the other left two women will be grinding flour at the mill one will be taken the other left and I believe sometimes these verses can be a bit confusing if we take it in the context of judgment, and that was the context that Jesus was illustrating, those who were taken are actually those lost in the turmoil of that day uh, instead of what many have viewed that verse as meaning as those being raptured and taken out. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the commentaries, uh, in fact, it was uh, a Barnes commentary he explains it this way, one shall be taken, and the word taken may mean either to be taken away from the danger, that is, rescued, as Lot was in, in the Luke 17 passage, or to be taken away by death. And in his opinion, he says probably the latter is the meaning. Mm -hmm. And actually, that is my uh, interpretation of what this is saying based upon the context that Jesus was really giving this in. So uh, 
that is my explanation for why Jesus brought this example of Noah into his teaching. Yeah, so, so really it's just looking at it uh, maybe in a different view is that is Jesus talking about not so much the rapture in verse 40 and 41, but uh, about the judgment that in the end uh, some will know Jesus and be able to to go to heaven with him forever and some won't. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great thing to study and to, and to think about. Um, it's interesting in, um, we, we often look at popular culture like left behind books and things like that and we, we think that that's, you know, exactly what it is, but that is written by a human person, and this is the word of God, so we do need to really dig in and see what God really meant by those by those things. So the other part of Dan's question was um, just what other passages in the Old Testament point to Jesus' second coming? Do you have any um, examples that you want to tell the listeners today? Well, Nicole, I think you, you put together a great list of uh, Old Testament uh, chapters in particular on the handout that... Uh, was, was given along with this series uh, for August. There are, there are many, uh, in fact, as you mentioned in your message, there's over 150 chapters yeah. uh, in the Old Testament that really focus primarily on the return of Jesus. And I think one of the reasons that many of these chapters may seem unfamiliar to Christians is that really it's quite easy to read over uh, these chapters without considering the meaning and the context in a literal way. Mm-hmm. I've, I know in my own life, I have often read through chapters in the Old Testament. I really didn't understand them completely, but I really didn't stop and try to put them in the context and uh, really go deeper into what the, the, the meaning really was. And as we begin to do that with you know, intentionality, I, I believe that you'll see these chapters jumping out at you, uh, especially as you read uh, chapters in Isaiah, in Psalms. Uh, for example, Psalm 2 is, is a uh, really an end time passage talking about the plans of the Lord are going to be fulfilled even though the nations rage against God. Mm. And that's what's going to happen at the end of the age. Uh, you have Isaiah 27, 13, Joel 2, 1. There's just a whole list of, of chapters. And I, w- I would encourage uh, anyone listening to the podcast to go back and, and, and maybe get a copy of the chapters that you had uh, listed mm-hmm. in the handout. And certainly if you're uh, listening but don't attend your first, we'd be glad to mail you that information or email it to you. Just uh, reach out to us at question at eriefirst.org, and we'll make sure you get those. Uh, I, f- I found it interesting, Ron, as I've been um, rereading kind of that list, some of the passages I never quite uh, connected to the second mm-hmm. coming or the end, end of the age, uh, and then went back and read it in that with that lens, in that view, that mm-hmm. was really amazing for me. So uh, that, that study, even if you feel like you've read the whole Bible or you've read all the, the things on the end of the age, uh, it's a really just enlightening moment to kind of read with that context. So. Yeah, and and you know, I always like to, to just add that the Lord really wants us to be diligent in studying his word. And perhaps if some of these passages uh, were did not challenge us a bit, we would 
maybe take them too casually. And uh, the Lord knows how easy it is for us as, as weak human beings to really begin to think that we know it all. And uh, he wants us to dig in. He wants us to go hard. He wants us to really hear everything that he has told us and, and told his church about his plans for the future. So I think um, the next question came in, and it talks a little bit about this sort of uh, thing in our culture. We talk about uh, it's the end times or it's the end of the world. And, and she asked, if when the world ends, is that it? You know, kind of what happens after that? It's sort of something we talk about in our culture. So if someone was asking you, um, when, when the world ends, is that all there is? What would be your response, Ron? How would you, how would you, know, you, uh, you respond? You know, it's interesting, once again, uh, for many years of my life, I, I'm not sure that I really uh, considered that phrase. Uh, I didn't really think much about it, but Scripture really, um, really gives us a different uh, viewpoint. Uh, the Bible is clear that Jesus is returning and that uh, there's going to be the, an end of this age which I call the end of the age of natural history. And I call it the end of natural history because after Jesus' return, all things are now under his authority as he establishes a new earth uh, under his government. In fact, it does tell us that Jesus will return, transform the saints of history and those on the earth with resurrected bodies, take his place uh, of kingship, in the, in the city of Jerusalem, you know, establish his 1,000-year reign on this earth as he cleanses the earth and renews it and prepares it uh, for the new Jerusalem to come down with, the, with God the Father at the, end of, at the end of the age and to go into eternity. And, you know, while that's a really condensed and simple version of these events, the Scripture gives us all of those insights and in many, many more details. And so uh, the reality is when Jesus returns, he's returning to this earth. And it's not the end of the world as we so often hear and uh, coming out of Hollywood and mm -hmm. uh, popular, popular ideas that really have no biblical foundation. Yeah, I think that's really good. And and I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in, uh, you know, kind of worldly thinking with this if you don't know the scripture. And that's why we, we've said it till we were blue in the face, Ron, in this mm -hmm. series. But we just want everyone to really study for themselves so that they know how to counteract maybe a conversation they have about um, the world's just going to end and that's it, you know. Because uh, we know that's not true. We know that the scripture tells the truth and that Jesus promised he's coming back and he'll fulfill all those promises. And, and, you know, we do this not to be argumentative with people, but to really give them um, truth and to give them hope. Because mm -hmm. I, I know that you believe this, I believe this, that the truth really does set us free from, from, uh, from sin and, and that's really what our desire is for, for all people. Mm -hmm. That's great. Okay, so let's go on to the third question. Um, this really uh, partners well with uh, the second week of our series, Ron, that you shared, um, the second week of Coming King, that talked a lot about 
the signs that were going to happen and the signs of the times. And uh, one of the questions that came in after that uh, sermon that day was we had briefly mentioned the cosmic or astronomic signs referred, uh, but we didn't get a chance to really unpack all of that. So what um, can you just talk more about the scriptures that go with that and, and how you would describe it? Sure. You know, there's, there's at least three uh, clear scriptures in the New Testament where Jesus refers to this. Uh, one of them is in Mark uh, chapter 13, verses 24 and 25. And he says there that at that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And, and honestly, one of the reasons that I didn't expound upon uh, that particular sign uh, event of cosmic signs is because we really haven't seen many of them yet. Mm -hmm. And I know that when we do see them, they're going to be unmistakable. They're going to be uh, uh, remarkably uh, real and probably cause some fear in, in all of those people who have not really been prepared to, to see the Lord's return. Uh, two other passages, one, the one that we've talked about a couple of times, Matthew 24 in verses uh, 29 and 30, Jesus basically repeats the same thing. He says, uh, uh, in those days the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then finally, the third uh, passage I was referring to is in Luke 21. Uh, once again, just saying that there's going to be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. Mm -hmm. And so while we haven't seen many of those yet, uh, they will happen, and they will be unmistakable uh, when we do see them. I'm reminded uh, as well, we talked about this a little this past Sunday, that um, a lot of the things that will happen, I believe, will be indescribable. They'll be difficult to even talk about in our human terms. And so some of these things that were written down to describe this, um, we don't know exactly what will, will happen to cause this. You know, one, um, one theologian I listened to this week talked about how uh, perhaps a, a planet or a, a large meteor, you hear of different scares of that kind of thing, will... Uh, you know, run into the earth and that will make the sun darken and the moon give no light and the stars fall from the sky. And then that'll be the moment that Jesus uses. Certainly he's in charge of all that. So he could have that. We don't know for sure. We don't know what that would look like. Uh, there's nothing to be afraid of because it will be God's plan and strategy and we will be right in the center of his will. But um, it's just interesting. I guess as I was looking at these scriptures and thinking about this, I'm not sure we know exactly how or what this will look like, but we do know it will be a unique day unlike any other in history, and it will show us, you know, the, the second coming. So, uh, You know, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that we as, as humans, we try to figure out how this will happen. Yeah. And I think, as you said, what we need to remember is that who's behind what's happening. Yes. And, and, it, and it's the Lord who is causing it to happen. And uh, it's, it's interesting that he's really given us some insight into what we can expect. Yeah, that's really good. 
Uh, all right, so let's keep moving here. The next question uh, came after the third week of Coming King when we talked a lot about the different um, theories and philosophies behind um, the rapture and the tribulation and when all those things are going to happen. And we talked at length uh, during that message, uh, week three, um, about pre-tribulation theologies and post-tribulation theologies and, and basically the idea of will the saints be raptured before the tribulation ensues or will they be raptured the, you know, at the moment of the second coming? Uh, but one uh, person asked, why didn't we address mid-trib, mid middle tribulation time? And, and before um, maybe we do take the time to address it, uh, I did want to say we didn't necessarily eliminate that for any particular reason, just that we only had so much time <laughs> to teach on uh, things. So we, we really chose maybe the two most popular uh, theological viewpoints. Um, so just to kind of show we didn't not do it to discredit it or any way or that sort of thing. Um, but we do want to address it now. And um, I think, uh, Ron, you had a few things from, a, from an author, Mark Hitchcock, that uh, gave some insight. So if you wanted to share some of that. Yeah, he, he, he outlines that really there are five uh, main interpretations or theories about the timing of the rapture and uh, just to list them quickly the pre-tribulation rapture would say that the Lord returns prior to that seven-year tribulation period the mid-trib tribulation rapture which would occur right at the midpoint or the three and a half year point uh, and and as I see that scripture that's right at the point uh, of the Great Tribulation, the Great Tribulation period uh, where the Antichrist is, uh, sets up the abomination of desolation as Daniel uh, the prophet uh, prophesied. The third would be the post-tribulation rapture which uh, would, would look at the, the rapture or the re of Jesus coming at his return at the end of the seven-year period. And I might add, um, before that 30-day period, again, that Daniel uh, talks about uh, in, in his prophetic word, uh, there's a 30-day period in addition to the seven years. And uh, many would say that that is when the actual bowls of wrath are poured out on the Antichrist and, and his followers. And then the last two would be the partial rapture mm -hmm. uh, of the faithful and devoted believers will be raptured before the tribulation, but the rest of the believers will be left to go through the purging mm -hmm. of the tribulation. That's not one that I'm really familiar with and I don't really see much scriptural support for. Mm -hmm. And the pre-wrath rapture is one that it occurs about three-fourths or five and a half years of the way through. And again, I'm not that familiar with that. I don't see much scriptural mm -hmm. support for that as well. But obviously, as you already said, uh, the pre-trib and the post-trib views are the two that probably are the most widely accepted in the church today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and definitely um, is so worth time and study and energy. Again, if you need more resources for that, we did list some good ones in that a handout we had, but uh, Ron or I would love to just give you even more reading for your own uh, to really process through where you stand. Um, Ron, would you just share briefly why, uh, not necessarily your view, <laughs> but mm -hmm. why it's important, why, you know, we kind of talked when we were doing this series or this particular one, 
that you found it pretty helpful for you to to kind of take a stance on what direction because it it mattered to kind of your theology and your processing so I, I guess why would you encourage people to really look into that and not just say oh it doesn't really matter well <laughs> if that's a well, fair setup you know what? <laughs> one of the reasons is is because uh, we're at a time in history where the day of the Lord's return is drawing closer yeah that's true. and because of the signs hmm. that we've been given and the signs that Jesus made clear we can see those signs uh, increasing uh, and the Lord points to that generation in which all of these things will be happening basically at the same time. Mm-hmm. We're almost there. there there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a couple of things that maybe haven't happened yet. Uh, we know Jesus references the preaching of the gospel uh, to all nations. And we know that that is uh, a few years away uh, at, at most. And so for no other reason... Um, because that day is, is, is drawing close, we want to know as much about it as we possibly can. And because the scripture has actually, actually given us almost twice as much information mm-hmm. on the Lord's second return as, yeah. as it does on his first coming, right. uh, we should take that seriously. That's, uh, that's not a coincidence. So I just encourage everyone uh, to approach this with a heart of humility, yeah. with a expectation that the Lord wants to bless us. And, and in a way, as we do this, we become forerunners of a message mm. that we can take to our neighbors and friends. And we can say, look, uh, we have a good God who loves us, and <clears throat> we have a great eternity to look forward to. Mm. So I encourage us to go hard after this. And, and, and I would just say this too, I'm always, uh, I love to talk with, with people about this topic. And if anyone is you know, interested in engaging uh, personally with me, I, I'm happy to sit down and, and uh, talk about my position on it and, and anything in the scripture that you can find. Mm-hmm. Thanks. All right, so I think we're going to head to the hardest question. We, Ron and I both agreed perhaps the, hard, the most challenging question um, is this. Um, will people who reject the gospel and miss the rapture have another opportunity to be saved during the tribulation? So this is written um, in a pre-tribulation. Th- this question is in a pre-tribulation setting in the sense that uh, if uh, people reject the gospel, the rapture happens, they aren't taken, uh, will the gospel be present and uh, spread during the tribulation? What do you mm-hmm. What do you think, Ron? Well, um, a couple of things. I believe the scripture is really clear um, that those who accept the Antichrist and take the mark of the beast uh, will seal their judgment and the wrath of God against them. Um, now, I, I believe that those who re, who accept the Lord and maybe reject him, and I think that was the context that this question was asked mm-hmm. uh, in, are, are really um, setting themselves up in a dangerous way to be deceived by the, the great deception uh, of 
of that time period when the Antichrist does come on the scene. And uh, so I can't say, and I don't think anyone can say, how the Lord will judge any person's heart. But I, I will say that uh, we're placing ourselves in a dangerous position if we outright reject the Lord and believe that we will uh, be able to uh, sustain ourselves through that tribulation period and, and uh, uh, come through without being deceived. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to note that, um, I guess, right, we, we would need to ask the motivation behind the question, not from the person who submitted it, but um, from, from someone maybe uh, uh, who is deciding whether they're going to follow Jesus or not. If they are putting it off because they believe maybe there's more time, that certainly is not the right uh, feelings to have. It's interesting, um, during the tribulation period, it's pretty clear in the scripture that people will get saved uh, very, very in multiple places. And actually one of the chief purposes of the tribulation period, which you and I talked about uh, in coming King week three, was that the Lord wants none to perish. He, he is increasing the pressure, turning up the heat mm -hmm. so that he knows the time is short and he wants people to really um, turn to him and see the, 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 that they need him. So, so certainly people will come to know Christ during the tribulation. Uh, but the scripture also says that it'll be very, very difficult for people to do that. And so um, the enemy will have much more opportunity to influence and free your reign in those, in those few mm -hmm. years. So, um, so the answer certainly is for us to be urgent in our own relationship with God, in the relationship with God with other people in our life, so that they would make the decision, the time is now, you know, repent and be saved now. Um, but Technically speaking, will people be saved during the tribulation? Yeah, we we can all say the scripture does say that absolutely in that context. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that's a that's a tricky one, but but we can say confidently. Any other thoughts on that before I move to the last one? No, I, again, I, I I believe that that is one of those that uh, really uh, we have to think through because we know that we are responsible. The Lord does not force us to accept him. And we have to watch that the, the condition of our heart does not become so hardened that, uh, that we pass that point of receiving mm -hmm. uh, yeah. who he is. And, and you know what? Uh, scripture is clear that that does happen, that, uh, that people harden themselves to the point that uh, the grace and the redemption of the Lord really has passed them by. Mm -hmm. And I guess if you're a post-tribulation theologian, mm -hmm. then uh, Christians may very well be here with their unsaved friends and family to help them walk through the tribulation and lead them to the Lord. So kind of depends on your theological stance there, what your, as a Christian, what your role will be. Um, but the scripture does, does mm -hmm. say that. So, All right, good. Well, let's, um, this is the last question, and then we'll... Um, take just a few moments to pray for all our listeners in our congregation, but the question comes from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, which we talked about in week four of Kim and King. Uh, let me read you the, the scripture. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, 
and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so the question was, what does it mean when it says the dead in Christ will rise first? Aren't dead believers already in heaven right now? Great question, great question. Um, scripture's really clear that yes, uh, as soon as we're, as, as soon as we take our last breath, our souls, our spirit, is immediately in the presence of the Lord. And uh, you can find that in 2 uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 8. So, but the difference, the difference is, is that we actually don't need um, a physical body in, in the spiritual heaven mm -hmm. that uh, believers are now in. And if any of you have, uh, are acquainted with Randy Alcorn's book entitled Heaven, he really gives some excellent insight into this. And, um, you know, a body basically is unnecessary in the current heaven. But when the earth is transformed uh, by Jesus uh, upon his return, we will need a resurrected body, and we are going to get uh, a resurrected and perfect body, just as Adam had uh, before sin entered the world and before he sinned. And so, uh, so the clarity there really, really is: we don't need a resurrected body in the, and I would almost call it the temporary heaven uh, before the Lord comes down and dwells on this earth, on the new earth. Uh, for eternity, but we will need a resurrected body uh, as we go through the millennial kingdom with Jesus as we go into eternity, and it's going to be a great thing. I don't want to miss it. I'm looking forward mm -hmm. to it. It's uh, something that we can really be anticipating and excited about. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks for bringing that clarification to that scripture. Um, so I guess what we'd like to do now is just take a few moments and really just pray um, together. So if you are listening today and you want to um, just pray with us, um, I think I'll begin. And, and Ron, if you could close us out uh, this series. Sure. Uh, Father, we just come before you and we are so thankful um, that you have said that anyone who reads Revelation will be blessed, that anyone who mm -hmm. uh, attempts to dig into the word of God will receive a blessing. And so, Lord, we thank you for this series and this congregation and, and even those that are just listening um, via podcast uh, to this series. God, we know that they are blessed because they got interested in your word and that they began to understand um, the day that you will come back. Uh, Father, we do pray uh, for any confusion, Lord, that we would um, just uh, rest in you. We know that your word says um, you have a plan and that our hearts should not be troubled. And so I pray for anyone who is struggles with any fear when they talk about this or confusion or apprehension, Lord, that, that your Holy Spirit would just cover that. God, we do pray um, for those that are reading on their own and, and listening, God, that your Holy Spirit would quicken um, their hearts, that they could see things clearly, that they would understand even better than they ever have um, what to look for, that we would be, as we talked about this past week, like Simeon, that we would wait forward, that we would wait in anticipation, that we would be people that watch and look and wait and want so badly to see you come back in all of your fullness. God, thank you for your promises. Thank you that you show us the end of the story because you love us so deeply. 
And we pray that our hearts would grow to love you even more as we study the end of the age. And Father, I just thank you that our confidence can be placed wholly in you. Yes. Father, thank you that you've given us so much and that uh, your word never returns void. Father, I just ask that for all who are listening to this podcast, for all who are in our congregation, that this would only be the beginning of going hard after your word, all of your word, Lord, and uh, searching it out and being as the Bereans were to ask questions and to consider what you're saying. Father, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to to be a part of this. Uh, We just ask now that Holy Spirit would uh, cover conversation, that Holy Spirit would inspire us to to move forward and to uh, be watching because you've told us to watch. You told us to be aware of the season that we're living in. And thank you that our hope is founded in you. Thank you that your plan will be completed in every detail. We just ask this. Amen.